0: Hello there and welcome into this edition of The Intersection with Conversation Highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, you'll be hearing from Christy Cameron, who is involved with an approach to scripture called verse mapping. She shared with me about this technique that can help believers grow deeper in God's Word. You'll also be hearing from Glenn Stanton a focus on the family who has been examining research that shows how young people are impacted mentally by the COVID-19 pandemic and how children who are in intact families seem to fare better. His comments are coming up. And on this edition of The Intersection, you'll be hearing from Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in California, discussing his church's opening in the midst of COVID when state restrictions against that occurring were in place. Finally, it's David Dusek of Rough Cut Men Ministries sharing about some biblical lessons that he observed from a battle in the Vietnam War involving the 7th Cavalry. This is The Intersection, of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Christy Cameron has discovered and written about the concept of verse mapping, which is integrated into two releases, the NIV Verse Mapping Bible and NIV Verse Mapping Bible for Girls. She spoke with me recently about some of the basics of this technique. From that conversation on The Meeting House, this is Christy Cameron now. In using verse mapping, practically speaking, how do you apply these, these five, and again, five steps, I'm, I'm kind of doing the type A structure thing here, but how do you apply the five steps to say that passage of scripture?
1: Yeah, and Psalm 139 is a long beautiful mm-hmm. chapter. So I would say if you're going to verse map, it might take you more than one map to get through all of those verses. But if you yeah. were going to select a couple of verses out of there. You know, let's say that that you were going to just dive in and you were going to start right at the beginning and you were going to say, "Okay, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up." Like if that was the verse And you may have selected that verse because it's something that the Lord is working on your heart right now, right? You can be in a study group and you can say, let's go through an entire book of the Bible. Let's do the gospel of Luke or let's do Acts, or you can do a thematic study. You can say, Lord, I really need to understand your grace or your mercy right now. Or I want to go ahead and map all of the, I am statements from Jesus in the gospel of John. Like I want to do something like that. Or Psalm 139, God, I just want to get to know you. I just want to know what you think of me. I just want to know what your thoughts are of me. And so that's a great place to start. So you select Psalm 139 verses one and two. In the next step, in step two, you're actually going to look at what the design is. So you're going to look up those verses over multiple translations. Now in the verse mapping Bibles, we have done the first three steps for you because we didn't want anything to be an obstruction that, okay, I don't know how to use a concordance. I didn't take Hebrew or Greek in college. You know, we don't want there to be any barriers. So, that second step, you're just looking at multiple translations. You write the verse down, you look for keywords and phrases that are used over again, or perhaps something that's in the past tense versus the present tense, which denotes something, an action that's ongoing. And then that third step is to look at what fully develops those words or those key phrases that you've picked out for the Old Testament and the original Hebrew, and in the New Testament and the Greek. And those first three steps in these Bibles, we have done that for you over 350 maps, including one in Psalm 139.
0: All right. Because you know I had
1: to pick that. One. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So you've got the maps that are there, the the three steps that you've you've done, or the I guess you would say the the examples. Um, yes. So then, as you go forward, the the next steps are five of them. So four and five. How do those four work? And five
1: yeah and if if i'm allowed to choose a favorite child or a favorite step it would be step four okay okay <laughs> i mean keep keeping in mind that that the verse is is above all the most important thing is the word of god is the most important mm-hmm. but step four you are looking at the actions so what is happening on stage so to speak what is happening right there in that verse and then what's happening off stage you have to look at what's happening in the verses and the chapters before and after your chosen verse And also what's happening in the larger context of the Bible. And when you Mm. think about it in that framework, engage your five senses. So for example, if you're in a first century Roman world in the book of Acts, what would it have looked like if you were like me, if you were a woman who was a new convert, you know, Christianity, you've heard about this Jesus, this Jesus teacher, wow, I want to learn more about him. What would the world have looked like, sounded like? smelled like what would I have experienced if I was literally walking on the ground in that part of the world in a Roman first century world and really engage your senses like your favorite movie like you do when you're drawn into a story and then that fifth step once you've documented what's happening and to whom the fifth step is the outcome now this is so important and it should be a quick hit summary of what the Holy Spirit has taught you. One to two lines. This is what God taught me. This is how I plan to go out and use it in my daily life. In my sphere of influence, this is how I plan to use God's word and what he taught.
0: And these are our steps that people, as we were talking about earlier, can customize yes. to to some as they were, were sharing that. They're, they're saying, yeah, this is something that is in-depth. And as we grow, as we desire to grow in Christ, as we desire to go deeper with him, this is a tool, this is a resource, this is a way. But the the overarching theme is to know his word and to know him better. So as people connect with the, the verse mapping technique. How do you see, and what are you hearing from readers as far as an effective way to really implement this into one study of God's Word?
1: So many things, and I love how you you phrased that because it is gonna be different for each one of us. There have been so many times that I have taught verse mapping and you can have a classroom full of people in their own small groups and we all map the same verse and we all get something completely different.
0: Christy Cambron here on The Intersection. You can find out more at versemapping.com or you can go to her website, which is Christy with a K and a Y on the end, christycambron.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Glenn Stanton. He serves as Director of Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family. And in a recent conversation, he offered insight into research regarding the effect of the coronavirus pandemic on teens and their mental health and how their family structures factor in. Here now from that conversation is Glenn Stanton.
2: I am the research nerd that's always digging (laughs) into the data and looking at, you know, what is it that we really know and what do we don't know? And I try to serve Jim Daly well that way of, you know, providing that kind of research. And in fact, this article came from a request from Jim Daly where he just said, you know what, we hear all this stuff about youth suicide during COVID and and what do we really know and so that's what got me digging into the data and i always try to look for the good news story rather than i mean we as christians we're the people of good news and you know let's gravitate toward the good news rather than necessarily the bad news and the good news is i mean first of all we th- there isn't national data on what is happening with youth suicide so we so in a sense we just don't know cumulatively, you know, is you suicide up, is you suicide down during the COVID age? But there are some secondary indicators that we can look at that come from um, very good scholars who study this sort of stuff. And one of these is a woman named Jean Twenge. She teaches, um, she's a professor of psychology at San Diego State University and just absolutely one of the national and really world leaders on understanding young people. And she did a study this year that I found really fascinating. And she says, and I'll quote her, she says, to our surprise, we found that teens fared relatively well during quarantine. She said depression And loneliness were actually lower among teens in 2020 than it was in 2018. Now, she said general unhappiness and dissatisfaction with life had gone up like all of us. I mean, because of this great inconvenience. But in terms of depression and loneliness and real feelings of isolation, she wondered maybe is family, the, the fact that kids are reporting more times with their family. And she found that kids were reporting more time with family, spending more time talking, spending more time having meals together. She was surprised to find out that, lo and behold, kids were actually reporting, you know what, I like being with my mother and father. I like being with my siblings more, and that this year of this forced time together with our you know with my own family has has it's kind of been a bummer but it's actually been really kind of nice too so you know we need to not forget the idea that gosh people have been forced to spend time with their families we at Focus on the family and gene twangy and some of these other scholars are saying lo and behold that's actually been a good thing that has
0: mitigated the negative impacts
2: of the covid uh Quarantine.
0: I do want to to put what what you had just shared against a backdrop, and you do this in the article very well, because while there are some encouraging trends here, and it does make sense that as young people perhaps are interacting more with their families, that might give them a greater sense of stability and identity and some good things that can come out of this. You, you are actually placing this along a timeline where there has been an increase in youth suicide rates. So the good news is that you're not seeing a spike, at least in early research. Uh, some of the research that you quoted in The Federalist are cited in that article. But nevertheless, there is alarming news just generally over the past few years with respect to the trends on youth suicide right
2: right bob and i'm glad you brought that up because you know that's the other thing that i was able to share with jim and the other leaders that focus on the family is that yes youth suicide is high but it like it didn't just spike this year it has been spiking over the last 10 years or so. I mean, increasingly, we're seeing this problem of, and we need to be aware of this, I mean, a sense of hopelessness among our, our young people and, you know, persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness, those kinds of things. I mean, they've been climbing since 2015.
0: Glenn Stanton here on The Intersection. He writes for the Daily Citizen website, which can be found at thedailycitizen.org. The Focus on the Family website is focusonthefamily.com. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to hear full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. You can also download those conversations from the Media Center. Plus, there's a link to the Intersection podcast that features brief highlights from a number of recent guests on the Meeting House program. There's also an iTunes feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the Winter 2021 Christian Product Expo in Charlotte, North Carolina. Conversations from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app at a variety of podcast platforms, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Learn more when you visit meetinghouseonline.info, or the programming section at faithradio.org. The senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Chino Hills in California, Jack Hibbs, was a recent guest on The Meeting House. In our conversation, he described his church's response to COVID-19 restrictions in the state of California and discussed the Religion is Essential Act being proposed in the state. From that conversation, this is Jack Hibbs Now we gave
3: the additional 15 days. At the end of those 30 days, Bob, uh, the jurisdiction, as you well know, was handed over to the governors. And immediately I cringed because uh, we know our governor. Everybody in California knows our governor. And that being the case, we immediately began to send him uh, requests, letters, emails, and videos asking him, what is your... uh, what is your plan to involve the church? How do you want the church to respond to these crises? We've got people panicking, financial issues. How do we help? No response, Bob. Over and over again, no response, which didn't surprise us because the church, and this is key, everyone, the church uh, value and, and the, uh, the validity of the church in Gavin Newsom's worldview is zero, zero. He has no regard for the church. So in other words, voting matters. When you vote, you need to vote for somebody who understands a biblical worldview. They don't have to be a Christian, but they need to understand the rightful role of faith in the community. And so, Bob, what we did is shortly after that 30-day mark, I sent him a video telling him that with all due respect, we would be opening up safely, we would be opening up fully, but that we'd get back to God's business this is our address, this is our phone number, this is my name, and we're reaching out to you to respond. He never did, but we in turn opened up fully, and since that time, uh, we have had uh, records for this church for 30 years. We've never seen attendance like this over these last nine months, 10 months. We've never seen baptisms. We baptized a thousand and four people on one Saturday alone, and um, it has been remarkable. And, and the local governments, Bob, this is what's amazing. Our county and the cities that surround us have not only uh, stood in defense of us, but they have employed us to help the community out. The church has actually taken the lead role in ministering to people of all faith or no faith at all. It's been the most remarkable year ever.
0: Comment if you would on the the recall effort as well as the legislative effort to to try to to put into law that you know that there is an essential element of the church.
3: Yeah, absolutely. First of all, uh, one one point five, technically one point four nine zero, petition signed uh, ratified uh, is what's needed to uh, commence the recall vote. Uh, right now, Bob, we are at, as of today, we're at 1, and 000, uh petitions signed. That makes it, by the way, the most successful recall effort in American history. This is the largest response to recall a governor uh, in American history. That said, you're talking about SB 397, and, and uh, thank God, a fantastic uh, bill, here in California. It's been authored by Brian Jones. Brian Jones is not only a senator here in California, but Brian Jones is a lover of the Lord. He's a former youth pastor. And uh, part of the crafting of that uh, has been with groups such as uh, the Capital Resource Institute and Real Impact, and of course, Brian Jones. And, And this religious is essential, SB 397, Bob, really uh, as a bullet point quickly does this it positions the church and it's crazy i got to say this but it positions the church in the place of being able to exercise its first amendment rights i mean it's ridiculous i've got to even <laughs> say that but
0: it's like okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna pass the constitution into law okay <laughs> can you imagine it's amazing wow
3: but, but that's how bad it is here but um yeah, the First Amendment does also apply to the church. Number two, uh, it's going to prevent the governor or any elected official from singling out the church uh, to to be abused. In that sense, meaning uh, some businesses were given special treatment while others were decided by the governor to be non-essential and to lock their doors. And that was the church. Secondly, he singled out the church to not sing, to not worship. Uh, to to not praise God, to not uh, speak prayers out loud. This is absolutely remarkable, but this bill will ensure a, a believer's right to be able to uh, pray or to worship.
0: Jack Hibbs here on The Intersection. His website address is jackhibbs.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's David Dussek. He is the founder of Rough Cut Men Ministries, In our conversation, he laid out some principles of spiritual warfare, about which he writes in the book, The Battle, Tactics for Biblical Manhood Learned from the 7th Cavalry in Vietnam. From that conversation, this is David Dussek.
4: It was the first unit-on-unit, full-strength engagement between the United States military and the North Vietnamese Army regulars. Uh, Up until that point in in the later... uh, From the inception, really, 64, 63, we were using advisors and technical consultants to help the locals fight their enemy. Uh, President Johnson, back in early 64, opted to send the entire 1st Cavalry Division, amongst others, over to Vietnam, which really started that 10 years until 1975, uh, where we had such tremendous loss uh, in a war that, that was really very difficult to fight because of the terrain and the tactics and some of that. These, uh, the 1st Battalion 7th were the first element to ever use helicopters to move men around in combat. They also were the first ones to use the M16, which became the rifle uh, that was used predominantly in the Vietnam conflict as well. And they, they went on an excursion uh, to chase down some of the enemy that they really didn't know how many they were gonna find. And when these 395 men landed in this battlefield, uh, they landed on top of about 2,000 of them in tunnels that came up uh, and engaged them. So it was really the, the the turning point of getting us involved in a larger scale in Vietnam. But prior to Vietnam really taking a turn for the crazy, uh, you know, the Vietnam conflict has a lot of uh, – left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Um, this is when the warfighters were truly warfighters, and there was a real cause that they were going to help before it all kind of went sideways on them.
0: Well, now let's make that connection, if you would, with some of the dynamics of the spiritual battle that we face. Of course, all believers, as Christians, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we recognize that we are coming into a relationship with Him, but we're also engaging in, in, or we're, we're brought into a conflict with the enemy the one who comes as you mentioned earlier to steal kill and destroy so by you know someone might say well you know this the spiritual warfare I didn't sign up for this well actually you did because when you accepted Christ as your lord and savior you entered into this spiritual battle and the enemy wants to destroy you he wants to render you ineffective so for all believers we have this spiritual warfare dynamic And you deal with Rough Cut Men Ministries, specifically with men and the spiritual battles they face. So if you would highlight that parallel, please, between this battle that you were describing in Vietnam and the landscape of what Christian men are facing today. Well, I think first and foremost,
4: Christian men being the, you know, biblically ordained spiritual leader of their home, family, community, marketplace, church, and and frankly, the world, um, have become a real viable target of this same enemy that was wandering around in the Garden of Eden. And the enemy fights dirty, much like using punji pits and tripwires. He's figured out that if you take out the man, uh, you can wreck a family, you can wreck a marriage, you can wreck the children, you can also destroy... A generational legacy. So, the enemy of our souls has figured out with men specifically that a lot of times it's one shot, multiple kill. You can ruin everything by taking the man out of the equation. And so, what I try to do in terms of the parallels in spiritual warfare is first create a situational awareness that when we did give our lives to Christ, we surrendered, so to speak, our birth certificate here on earth and we became eternal citizens of heaven. Well, the textbook definition of a deployment is to be the citizen of another country uh, fighting on foreign soil to complete a mission, and when that mission's over, that soldier returns home. So really we're all on, uh, tactically and spiritually speaking, Mm. a 60-, 70-, 80-, 90-year deployment. And so I open the eyes of of the reader first to the fact that, look, you need to be aware of your area of operations. When you walk out your front door, you are not – you're not home you have an enemy sitting in the trees, so to speak, that wants to take you out. And uh, then I open up a series of different chapters on those particular areas, whether it be um, understanding that we are the target as men, that we are standing on enemy ground, that you never fight alone, um, that you need to know who your enemy is. You can't fight who you don't understand.
0: David Dussek here on The Intersection. You can learn more online at roughcutmen.org. We are nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of The Intersection podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or through the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. You can also find a link to the intersection through that homepage. There's also an iTunes feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.